This is Geek Gab with your hosts, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for, I think it's Saturday, July 31st, 2021. Am I wrong about that? You are correct, sir. It is already oh, the end of July. Man. You know, this year is turning out to be a lot more calm than I, I really expected it to be. After last year, I expected this year to be a complete and total, you know, crap show. It has been, but uh, it's also flying by unlike last year. Yeah, it's 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 a lot more mellow. I mean, we got a sequel to COVID, but it's like it's like COVID's weaker brother, the Delta variant is it's like the lazy COVID. It's just basically refusing to really hurt more than just a teeny tiny fraction of the people the original COVID did. And I know there's probably some nudnik out there putting their hands on their hips, some Karen out there saying, well, you know, people are dying. You can't make a joke about that. And I'm just saying, look, I'm just pointing out, it's not barely hardly lethal at all. There are almost nobody dying from the Delta variant. It's just not you know, kind of the nail biter that COVID was last year. Right. It's uh, it's really funny the way people are reacting to this. All, uh, all signs point to it being rather contagious, but relatively harmless. And forgive me for making light of the situation, but put me in the camp of people who thought the original COVID wasn't particularly threatening either. I hope I don't get us kicked off YouTube for saying that. Um, yeah, but there are some people who I think are way overreacting in certain ways. Like Australia. This is not political, by the way. Because somebody just mentioned this on, on Twitter when I mentioned it. They're like, it's Mad Max out here, man. <laughs> uh, Australia just banned leaving your house uh, and banned travel unless you've got a, a passport. Crazy. So, yeah, uh, there are people way overreacting. Um, so that's like cyberpunk future all the way out in Australia. It's it's something else. Yeah, to, to answer Jeffro's question in chat. Hey, Jeffro, good to have you hanging around. Um We'll get to chat in a second, but yeah, people are reacting. People are overreacting, in fact. Um, I never expected Australia to go crazy like that, but wow. Um, this, uh, is, this is modern life, guys. Guess what they're doing in France? Rioting? Yeah, they're going the whole other way. They're not just rioting. They're storming the Bastille. Oh, it's been a couple hundred years. It's about time they did that. Yeah, I was thinking it's a nice sequel. Yeah, they, they were do a, a good, good old-fashioned French Revolution again. 
So they're upset in France. They went completely the other way from the Australians. They just decided, hey, we're not putting up with this crap anymore. Yeah, so, and, to, and, to, and to put it into perspective, France has been writing for like two straight years. It's it's not huge. It hasn't overtaken the whole country yet. Uh, but So we don't notice it. They've been writing for like two straight years. I can't think of a less popular uh, government than France's government right now. So and then they they, they, they... they don't have a parliamentary system, because if that was England, he would have gotten a no-confidence vote and been out on his rear, right? That's right. He's the president, not a prime minister. He's he's, okay. he's legit president. I, I, I think they might... I don't know if they have a parliament, but he's... He's definitely not vulnerable in the same way as everything else, as as other countries, as you suggested. So um, we're talking politics today. That's it. You wanted to hear sci-fi stuff? F you. We're, we're talking <laughs> global politics. I don't know that much about France, except, yeah, someone mentioned yellow vests in chat. Yeah, the, Fran the French have been low-key riding for like two years now. They're, they're angry about a lot of things, and... Uh, and more, uh, more restrictions for COVID, uh, whether you feel they're justified or not, is not is not what they needed right now. In order to, if you wanted to calm them down, um, Mega Buster Shepard with, with the assist, he he confirms they've got a, a system closer to the U.S. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. So they're yeah. waiting for national elections, which you predict possibly might not go well for this president uh, who got slapped in a crowd. We, I think we talked about that once. Um, we're not talking about politics, qua politics. I mean, like we're not debating political people and parties and issues and stuff. We're talking about actual structural political science politics. That's different. Um, so Australia's going like, Nazi Germany, papers, please. I know that's not technically Nazi. Do I have to do that? Do I have to throw those little, like, asides to reassure the idiots out there that I know it's not actually Nazi Germany? They're not technically flying Nazi flags. They're not technically wearing SS uniforms. We know that's not what they're doing. But or can I just ignore those people? I think you can ignore those people for now. Yeah, if those people are listening to this show, they're in the wrong neighborhood anyway. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> You're listening to the wrong show if you don't understand that we know it's not literally Nazi Germany in Australia. Or, or if you think the United States is literally Nazi Germany, that there are literally, you know... 50 million or 80 million neo-Nazis in America, if you literally think that, you're listening to the wrong show. And that is politics, but we're going to back off that. We had a discussion last night with a good friend of ours uh, who said, not that we've done a lot, but we ought to stay away from things like that. Uh, I wanted to discuss... Uh, well, the reason why I bring that up is because we've said this before, We've got the crappy kind of, of cyberpunk dystopia going on. Yeah, I was I was really hoping that there'd be a 
dark future with crazy firearms and machines and flying machines and I don't I I wanted to plug my computer directly into the base of my skull by now and it's just not happening. Instead we get a we it's an Orwellian kind of nightmare. It's uh, mixed with the cyberpunk dystopia. If Orwell could have conceived of these giant corporations and who knows I haven't read everything he wrote. Maybe he maybe he would understand it. But uh it would be it would be cyberpunk by way of Orwell or Orwell by way of cyberpunk, depending on how you want to look at it. I got a cool Venn diagram the other day uh, that I was going to repost, but I haven't yet. But it's got uh, all these things listed, and let me read them off. Uh, and they're all in overlapping circles. 1984, they live Brazil, Fahrenheit 451. Brave New World, The Matrix, Soylent Green, Idiocracy, Mad Max, Lord of the Flies, Animal Farm, and Hunger Games. And right in the middle where all these circles intersect is a big pin, and it says, you are here. Perfect. <laughs> And what's sad is it's kind of true. <laughs> it really is. All these all these visions of the future, how it could go badly for us. A, a little piece of each one came true. Yeah, we got the smorgasbord. We got the dystopia smorgasbord, and it's just great. Um so there were two things I wanted to talk about before we got to the main topic of the show, not including the lame cyberpunk dystopia without cyberware yet that we live in. Um, see, that's where the Mad Max in Australia thing kind of clued in is because we got part of Mad Max. The circle um, is complete. The Venn diagram is the complete. circle is complete with the diagram. Um, and we know we got they live because all these people, there is one rule of law for the rich and powerful and one rule of law for the poor. And I sound like I'm a leftist radical commie from the 60s. Seriously. Uh, but it's also true. And I'm not a leftist. <laughs> I'm not a commie. I hate commies. I hate them. Better dead than red. I hate communism. Seriously. We discussed why on the show before. I grew up next to the Iron Curtain. I grew up 30 miles away from the Iron Curtain. You know, took a tour of the Iron Curtain, the Czechoslovakian border. I saw the border guards and the towers and the dogs and the minefields and the, uh, you know, Military chain, military link fences. Military link is different than chain link. It looks like chain link, but it's thicker and tougher and harder to cut through. And, you know, I saw all that stuff. Um, you know, we'd get news of people getting killed trying to cross the Iron Curtain, trying to cross the Berlin Wall. And we got movies of people successfully making their way across the Iron Curtain in 
hot air balloons and stuff and it was personal to us uh when when we saw that at the local theater uh on base we all applauded because it wasn't just the tale of heroism it was a personal thing to us we were 30 miles away from it um so yeah i'm not a leftist but when you watch what uh people are what's happening right now with uh, uh masks and everything else and you see what the uh rich and politicians get away with what governors got away with uh flying around without masks and things like that and what normal people get hammered for what connected people get away with restaurants being able to stay open and have parties in there with people without masks and uh poor people who are not connected who have uh restaurants and they get shut down and their entire life savings is drained and their businesses get shut down uh you know it is literally what the left used to complain about it, only now it's true. That's the difference, is when they used to complain about it in the 60s and 70s, it wasn't true. They were exaggerating. They were lying. But now it is true, and it's those same leftists who are doing it. What they were complaining about wasn't flaws with America. It was warnings about what they were going to do. Uh, and that really peeves me off. And that's the cyberpunk dystopia we live in. Cyberpunk as a genre wasn't uh, a warning about how bad America was. It was a warning about how bad the left would be when they got into near total power. And you can say that's politics, but it's only political in the sense that cyberpunk itself was a political genre. So I think I'm following my own rule with that. But there were two things I wanted to talk about before we got to the main, not to get off onto a rant there, but there were two things I wanted to talk about before we get off to the main topic of the show. I don't get off on rants, do I? It happens from time to time. We, uh, we indulge you here on the Geek Gab. I wanted to talk about one small piece of game design, uh, and I wanted to talk about... Uh, the game last night, or at least one small part of the game last night. Oh, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on D&D as usual. Uh, so I'm going to do the game design first. A couple of weeks ago, I was complaining about mobile games and the money-grubbing nastiness. And I forgot something. And at the end of the show, all I could repeat in the last couple of minutes was, I think this game design choice was interesting, but we were rushing out the door and I couldn't, I didn't have time to explain why and I wasn't organizing my thoughts well because I was spending most of my thought processes trying to get ready to close out the show. So I want to explain why the thought processes on that video game on why I thought that game design was an interesting choice and how it worked so that you know you can get some insight into a game designer's perspective 
and why they chose the uh, why they made the choice they did. I'm going to try to make this really concise. It was a zombie game. The goal of the game was to get out of town, escape town before the nuclear plant melted down and irradiated everything, and you do, you expired. There were roaming packs of zombies and roaming zombies and other creatures, you know, zombie dogs and things like that, and different kinds of zombies. You'd have huge hulking zombies. You'd have um, bloated zombies that would spray you with acid that would slow you down. You'd have different weapons that you could find and an amount of ammunition you could find. And if you used too much ammunition, it would... You run out and you'd have to do things. You'd have to use melee weapons instead of guns that you could shoot at range. Your melee weapons uh, could eventually break when you use them too much and be reduced to fists, which did very little damage. When zombies got into melee range, they'd bite you. Uh, some zombies had, uh, or mutant creatures had ranged attacks, so on and so forth. Um, and I don't want to say this like it's bad, but that's pretty standard for zombie games. I mean, Resident Evil pioneered most of those things in the survival horror genre, unless I'm much mistaken. So, what uh, am it, I much what, mistaken? Um, Resident Evil owes a lot to Alone in the Dark, um, but okay. some of the other some of the other con um, conventions came from that from Resident Evil. So what what about what about the game is interesting or or what what game mechanic did you want to bring up? When you got into fights, the worst thing that can happen to you. So you have a you have an absolute hard coded deadline that varies according to the difficulty of the game. The easiest setting has the longest deadline before the power plant melts down. It's not a variable. It doesn't change according to, you know, where you are in the main plot or the side stories. It doesn't change according to what you're doing unless you specifically get to the power plant and can delay the, the meltdown, um, which is a Chernobyl-style event. It's not just, you know, a nice meltdown. It's an explosion that irradiates the city. So it's not one of these plotty things like you get in some games that it's a story thing. It's it's a hard deadline you're up against. And obviously at the highest difficulty level, it's, it's a pretty short deadline. So that's the time limit you're working on. You have to find and clear an exit from the city. And there are several of them two or three or four, I think, that you can find and clear and get out of the city before this hard deadline goes off. So your real currency in the game is time. Everything you do, and Jeffro's going to recognize this design philosophy from D&D, everything from old school D&D, right? Everything you do takes time. And 
that time counts against you because you're running towards the wall of that plant blowing up. So the, the design decision they made was that the worst thing that can happen to your single character in combat is not death, which would be a game over right then, because there's a hard-coded game over when time runs out. The worst thing that happens in combat is your character gets taken down to the point where they have to flee back to their sanctuary and spend time healing up. Now, it's your choice. Time being a resource that you have to manage. It's your choice how much time you spend healing. The more time you spend healing, the more hit points you get back. But the more hit points you get back, the less time you have before the plant blows up and therefore the less time you have to explore the less time you have to train on the skills uh because there's nine skills i think that you have to do things with lock picking um you know hand-to-hand combat fire combat computers things like that and every situation you go into is different so Time is a precious resource in the game. In fact, it's the most precious resource in the game. Everything you do costs time. And because time is the most precious resource, rather than making combat a matter of lethality, they made it a matter of costing you time. Because even if you get in a fight, and you win by killing all the zombies, they will have done you damage. And you can either heal that damage with, say, finding a med kit or making a med kit from other supplies that you find. So you've used up resources one of two ways there, or you heal it up by spending time. And so sooner or later, everything comes back to costing you time and it isn't a matter of killing your character that's important it's a matter of the primary overriding resource in the game they took a look at their game they took a look at what was really important is life and death really important in this game or is it time Now, if you go and look at Resident Evil, which I just mentioned, what's really important is life and death because it's survival horror. And it is that, uh, that's where the tension in that game comes from, is living or dying in this specific situation. And because it's real time, it's the speed of shooting as the zombies coming towards you or the speed of getting into your inventory and using a healing you know, whatever, an egg or a herb or a first aid spray. Um, and so in Resident Evil, it is life and death. And so that's what it's based on. And so that's why you want to uh, use life and death as the precious resource. 
But in this game, time is the precious resource. And so the right design choice for this game was not to have life and death be, you know, the chopping block, but to have time be the chopping block. And combat is just another way to make you spend uh, time. If you do combat well, if you learn how to do combat well, it costs you less time because you get wounded less, you get hurt less. Um, and if you've been efficient in your searching, if you've been efficient in uh, doing other stuff, you'll have more time that you can spend on other things. I think I see where you're coming with that or going. It sounds like the my main takeaway was that this isn't an arcade style game where you mess up, you lose, you know, you die, and then you move on. Um, every action has a particular cost to to undertake, and mistakes or bad luck or bad events can increase that cost or, or produce additional hidden costs. And so you want to try to maximize helpful actions and minimize hurtful actions um, instead of, you know, an like Resident Evil's challenge, the way I describe it is the survival horror aspect is, can I live long enough to the next healing item or the next clump of ammo that's going to, you know, can I survive long enough to get the next bit of ammo so that I can keep surviving? Um, and in this game, it's not like that. It's it's not a question of can I do it. It's a question of how do I how do I make the best choices to make the best use of my time. Um, sounds right. like a great adaptation of a board game. Yeah, you can make a good board game out of this. In fact, you can make a good cooperative board game out of this, or you'd have like, you know two to four players or one to four players playing against the time limit. Um, yeah, you could take that same central idea and uh, you could do it with anything. I mean, well, and even like Arkham, Arkham Asylum, kind of has that built in because in some of the scenarios so many monsters come pouring forth that you really are just working against the clock um in effect you're just working against the clock because sooner or later there'll be so many monsters that there's no way you can uh attain the goal of the scenario that you're fighting against Okay, well, that's so, that's that's a clever way to to go about it. What what did you want to say about that? Just as a game designer, instead of taking an assumed framework that every other game does, it may be that that framework makes sense for you know ninety nine percent of the games out there. <laughs> for first person shooters. Getting killed and restarting at a 
save point or you know when the player saves whatever that make may make perfect sense and you don't want to screw with that because it's not you know it's not going to make sense you're just going to ruin the game by doing something cockamamie but um it also doesn't hurt to look at the structure of your game to look at the goals and the means you achieve those goals and say what is really the goal of this game what are the obstacles in the path of the player what do they expend to uh progress to those obstacles and what's really really important and make failing or partially succeeding cost more of that resource not just assuming that living and dying is the optimal uh <coughs> excuse me is the optimal uh win fail moment in the game now i'm not suggesting this necessarily for tabletop games but uh for board games and for certain styles of computer games um, I, I actually i was going to talk about tabletop games in that oh okay in that respect shout outs to chat Jeffro is obsessed with time. Um, uh, glad you could join us today. Yeah, time in D&D. What happens when you think about um, the costs and, and risks of being your life or your character's life, right? You know, that's it, you lose. That's the attitude that a lot of people come into a standard game of Dungeons and Dragons with. Um, at least in the second, third edition mold of you have a character and your goal is to make that character as rich and powerful as possible and not die. Um, so that says two things to me. When, when that is on the line, that creates the type of game that D&D became, which is it's all about your character, you know, life or death. And as an aside, I'd like to point out that that's where, why 5th edition f mostly fails uh, a lot of players, or a lot of players fail to transition, because it's no longer about that. It's possible for a character to die, and if, you know, if you're playing with a room temperature IQ, it's likely, it becomes more likely that your character is going to die. But the challenge isn't about that anymore. It's, it's very difficult to actually lose characters in fifth edition the goal is you know you have to find other goals or other there's other failure conditions or if you're playing with the right types of people there are no failure conditions um which is one of the reasons why i call it more of a, um applying applying that principle that you spoke about to a tabletop game it would be like having uh, a mission where uh, you know the let's say the antagonists or the villain or what have you have a specific plan and everything you do costs time and if uh, x amount of hours pass or x amount of days pass something uh, you know this sort of thing happens uh, you know you can't it, the the antagonist has performed part of his plot and that's it 
um, uh, what what's another implication of that? Um, I think I think what I'm getting to is um, is sort of what I've said a, a bunch of other times. The type of game you get is largely determined by the rules and incentives presented. Uh, right? If you want time to be important, there you go. Make time important. But what does that mean? When you play this survival game, you're you uh your conclusion was, well, all right, well, I'm prioritizing time. You know, life and death of individual people isn't as important. You know, I need to make sure that, you know, we survive the or stop the apocalypse or whatever, right? Um, I wanna I wanna develop the skills necessary. I wanna avoid fights, that sort of thing. And we discovered when going back into the old school style of uh, red box D and D from eighty one or from seventy nine to eighty one when your main incentive is to get that money it changes the focus from the game you're no longer looking to slaughter every last monster uh, if you can get at that treasure a, a easier way or a smarter way that sort of thing um it just depends on the type of game which is why we were confused by traveler traveler didn't seem to have a well thought out uh, what's the word incentive or reward structure there were all these structures for exploring planets and stuff and that's fun and all but you know you get together and you're like oh what's the point of playing what are we trying to do here yeah, so there was anything built into the system obviously yeah there wasn't so, uh, anything obvious built into the system Exactly. So I, I, I think I'm not saying any of them are wrong or bad, but uh, I definitely see what you're saying as far as, oh, this, you know, this game mechanic works on time. So I've changed my assumptions about what's important based on that. I think that's a good, uh, I think that's a good observation. So speaking of Speaking of time, a lot of a lot of hollering in the chat about Jeffro Gaxian time. Uh, <laughs> Jeffro, we we have to talk about this. Um, your crazy experiments and rules as written AD and D. Well, sh we should uh, we should ask you to come on the show sometime and and explain it all to me because, who boy, it seems like a lot of fun, but change the way you play the game and in some cases actually try to follow the rules as written as best as possible you get a different experience you don't have to you don't have to make a judgment call about it i've been hurt i, I i'm i've been hurt by people who make judgment calls on uh, what type of game it is but change the type of game and change what people get out of it or change people how people interact with it well if i can make a make a point about time um 
in in connection with the D and D game you're running and I'm playing in. Um, we went in, we killed some goblins. We're first level characters, so, and we got hurt. Nobody died, but we got hurt. So we pulled back, um, because we got, you know, some treasure as well. Um, we went back. We're in the Caves of Chaos on Keep on the Borderlands. Um, we went back, healed up, got some more. Uh, I think we bought some better equipment. And then we went back. And the thing that we said to each other as we were going back in is, okay, we've been gone for a day or two. So we know that the goblins have had time to prepare. So when we got down to the uh, cave entrance, we were very careful to look to see if they had put anything at the cave entrance to be to traps or whatever. And sure enough, the goblins had taken that time that we were gone because they were expecting us to come back to uh, put some things there, uh, a noise trap to let them know that we were coming uh, and some other things. So because we were paying attention and because they, we were paying attention because we knew they were going to use their time and because they had used their time, you know, that's what helped make the game world feel like it was actually a game world in motion and not just a series of static encounters that were just sitting there paused, waiting for us to come along and interact with them before they animated. Um, and so <laughs> this was the other subject I wanted to talk about what happened next. Uh, because it's uh oh it's where dice rolls meet even a well-prepared party or a party who uh who was canny who was cunning who was ready um who had gotten everything who had thought of what they needed to do and was doing it right but a couple of dice rolls went with us and when the goblins came out, the other thing they had done in the couple of days is they had hired a hobgoblin or called for help from a hobgoblin they knew to come in. And we had five people in the party. And in this skirmish, uh, before we could withdraw, uh, we lost two party members. Two first level characters went down and we had to do a fighting retreat, pulling them with us, pulling their bodies with us. We got out of there. Um, and once again, retreated up the, is it a gorge that led to the cave? Where the goblins were? Yeah, so it's a, or a big ravine. 
A ravine, yeah. Up the ravine, past the elder's cave, who we had killed. Uh, up the ravine, back to the keep. You know, had a nice service. They had left their stuff to the party, so we divvied stuff up. And then we spent three days hiring some men-at-arms retainers. So time, again, those goblins have had three more days to do whatever it is they're going to do. And although we didn't have time to get back to the goblin cave and start going back in, um, we do have more people, but they've had more time to prepare. So we're going to see what's what next time we go back. But we have learned a harsh lesson on taking additional people with us. But then again, we didn't really have money or motivation to take people with us last time. We're brand new adventurers. We're first level. We're learning as we go. So, and as a player, I was kind of waiting for that anyway. Honestly, I was kind of waiting for my first level character to die because, uh, well, it's all Jeffro's fault. I've, I've been reading Jeffro's posts on his Trilopolis campaign. And again, we do want Jeffro to come on the show and talk about his Trilopolis campaign. Um, Cause I've been reading his Twitter posts, but I haven't, I don't know that I've caught all of those. Um, and I've also been bugging him to kind of compile his Twitter posts so people can know where to go to read all of those uh, and soak in the experience of the uh, information he's gotten from his campaign, uh, the knowledge and experiences he's had with that. Um, but I want to... Uh, I was looking forward to my character die. I'm like, I'm going to do my best to keep him alive. And I've invested the money. Uh, he's an elf, a D&D elf, which means he's a fighter magic user who has roughly, you know, two years of XP before he gets the second level. Um, but, you know, I've, I've invested the gold pieces to try and keep him alive. But I was kind of looking forward to him dying and just rolling up a new character because that was an integral part of first edition D&D uh, &D or white box D&D &D or even BECMI D&D, &D, uh, which is what we're playing. We're in basic right now because we haven't even hit second level, much less, uh, you know, third level or to get into the expert set. Uh, or expert Never gonna fourth, happen. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, we've just started hiring, started hiring hirelings and retainers last night. We got uh, two frontline fighters and three guys we outfitted with pole arms for second line fighters. And uh, we're starting tentative plans for people to be provisioners and hunters to keep a steady stream of supplies going to, to the adventurers so that we don't have to 
stop and go back. We've got three spots we picked as caches to keep stocked with water and food in case we have to uh, retreat. And we've got, uh, we're really, really hoping our party cleric gets to second level so he gets actual spells to, to be able to cure us at some point. And we just hired an NPC cleric to come along with us uh, for a share of the treasure. So yeah, we're learning from the lessons of getting killed. As a nice start, I think you, you made a big score, but you lost a couple of people. And so you went, turned around and took that money and said, okay, let's, let's get a little bit more equipment, but more importantly, let's hire some more people to make our next delve more successful so that we don't lose anybody and, you know, greater chance of success. A uh, totally different idea from the way I've always played D&D. &D. It's a, it's a, it's a new way to play. It's fun. It's an old way to play actually, but it's fun. And it's forced on us because we are more frail than in third edition, in fourth and fifth, I assume. And um, it's a lot longer time uh, before second level than it is in third edition, and I assume fourth and fifth. Not having played. Yeah, um, you're right. Fifth edition deliberately makes first level last about one or two sessions. They, it, it's very, very low amount of XP to level up. They just want they want people out of level one and into, quote unquote, doing fun stuff. And I'm not complaining because that forces you to learn. It forces you to think uh, strategically not just tactically in terms of how you're going to fight your battles, but strategically, you know, how are we going to keep this group provisioned? Uh, okay. How can we keep this group provisioned cheaply? <laughs> how can we keep, you know, pay less for food? So we have money for other things. How can we pay less for water? If you have um, some success, then you don't have to pay less anymore, but for now you're strapped. Yeah. You know, like the first two guys we hired, um, we stuck one of them in plate mail because we had it left over from a party member who died. And we paid money for the other person in plate mail. But the other three guys we hired, we put them in leather mail because we didn't have, we didn't want to, even though we had the cash, we didn't want to spend 180 gold buying three more suits of plate mail for them. Uh, and they were second line, and that's why we decided to make them the second line fighters is because they weren't going to be up in your face all the time. They were going to have the pole arms, and so they could be in in leather armor for right now until we got more money to, you know, upgrade them to something else. Um, so, so what do you think? What? Uh, why don't you wrap it up? What? What about that experience? is interesting to you or what really stood out about that what's the takeaway the tougher it is at first level it's not about death 
I mean, I'm no knock on the OSR people, no knock on the bro SR people, but I think they make a mistake when they focus too much on player character death and how necessary player character death is and stuff. What I find interesting in this play style is that it forces you to think about dungeon delving in a completely different way to where you begin thinking about it strategically because you're getting we're getting not very much money and our big score wasn't very much it was like 150 gold pieces a piece um and you know we spent a lot of that on uh you know when we we blew 25 gold pieces a piece for equipment for the new or yeah like we we blew a third of that on equipment for our new hirelings just getting them outfitted so that they could survive um so it being tough in terms of yes you're going to die um forces you to think about the dungeon in a strategic manner you have to approach it in um an organized deliberate fashion uh at least that's what it did for me and for you know the other two players in the group we wanted to get organized we got roles for the hirelings we weren't you know just rushing into combat we said okay well we want these three people up front and then we're gonna have the cleric here so you know they can do some things and then when people came at us from the rear we had uh other people turn around and start guarding the rear while uh the main fighters took on the smaller group up front to take care of them and then they turned around to take care of start guarding our back and then when things went south they held the line while uh uh the cleric and the other guy grabbed the bodies and dragged them out and then we started retreating doing a fighting retreat i mean the same thing we had to do during the fight when things went south was the same way we had to approach the dungeon and the same way we had to look at everything as a resource we went to a crypt and we cleared out the crypt and then we used that crypt and it was a small crypt it was like three chambers um we used that crypt as a uh as a cash spot where we could leave some supplies a couple of casks of water some dried food there uh and it also overlooked a small hollow where we could set up a, a fire um and eventually lay down some stones and put in a metal ring so we had a fire pit there uh because it was convenient to uh the caves of chaos uh and convenient to the river um where we could 
you know, use it as a staging area. If we didn't have to go back to the city to heal, uh, we could just use it as a staging area where we didn't have to spend time overnight in the caves and chance an ambush. And because of the way the hill was shaped, when we lit a fire in the fire pit, we couldn't be seen except for the one specific direction uh, in between the two parts of the hill, um, in between the two shoulders of the hill. So you're thinking about those things. You're thinking about, okay, what's the terrain shaped like? If we light a fire, who can see us? You know, what's in that direction? Um, you're just thinking about all the things that are going on and you're trying to minimize the chance that you'll be seen by a wandering monster. You're trying to maximize the chance that you're gonna be sneaking up on the monsters rather than them sneaking up on you. You're trying to utilize all the resources you've got um, and trying to eke every last bit of gold and coin from whatever it is you find, not just because it's money to have money, but because it's money because you need that money to buy supplies for food and water and armor up your uh, retainers and, you know, make sure your mule is taken care of, make sure the cart gets repaired if it needs it, uh, and then upgrade things when and as you need to or can. Uh, you know, and, and it also aids actual role-playing. Like, we've got five retainers with us now. We've got five men-at-arms. And so I took time to uh, take the oldest guy there, make him the sergeant so he could transmit orders to everybody else when we need to give them, so he could transmit orders to the four other soldiers we hired, and gave him a, we had to give him a raise because of his duties. And none of that's in the rules, none of that's in the rule book, but if you've got five guys that are along with you and they're NPCs, yeah, we're going to control them by moving them around in the map, but you need somebody to be the sergeant of that squad. You just do. And he can help them keep their armor in maintenance, make sure they go to bed on time, make sure they're doing their watches when they're supposed to, make sure they're maintaining their uh, arms and armor and, and eating right and you know washing themselves and doing all the things they're supposed to do so we just needed a sergeant so i made him the sergeant uh and that's just role playing right uh and then you know we're doing other little role playing things like we took him out to dinner so uh they'd be we could get to know them before we went out into the depths of the dungeon uh we just had a nice dinner with the uh, the party three adventurers and uh and the men-at-arms we hired and the cleric we hired. It's not in the rules. And I get the feeling that's not the sort of thing that would go on in Jeffro's campaign necessarily. But I like the camaraderie of an adventuring company. Even if they're NPCs, we've got them along with us. We might as well, you know, take a couple of seconds because it just took me saying, hey, how much does it cost to take us out to dinner? You told me how much. I said, okay, I'll spend that amount of gold pieces and we'll take everybody out to dinner and just sit around talking about it. And then we moved on. We didn't, you know, we didn't spend like an hour role-playing it all out. We just talked about it, did it, moved on. Just something we know. I know I like all that. 
approaching it strategically, thinking about how to use our resources, taking advantage of what we find in ways that maybe you didn't expect as a game master. And as players, we may not have thought of beforehand, but, you know, getting it all set up and making plans for the future when things get bigger or when we need them, like hiring hunters to go hunt game or a provisioner to go source food for us in the next town up the road so that it's cheaper than what we're buying at the, you know, the cutthroat prices we're buying at the keep. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really, I thought the, the morale boosting actions you took were very amusing because my reaction of course was these, these, uh, these men at arms, they're just mooks, basically this, faceless guys who are there to help you succeed in the dungeon and by that i mean sometimes they'll sometimes they're going to soak a little damage and die um i the i think it's valuable to maximize their potential morale especially with uh, everybody having an average charisma score but uh, getting to know them that that did sort of made me chuckle to myself inside. I was like, oh boy, you're in the you're you're a blade of meat shielding. Uh, never name your pet your uh, livestock. Name your pets, not your livestock. <laughs> well, plus they're they're backup player characters in case one of us gets whacked <laughs> again. Yep. I, I, I'm hoping to see that happen. I'm hoping to uh, upgrade a, a man-at-arms uh, for, for was, temporary sake. I was also stealing ideas from the uh, first edition DMG to hire more people. Because there's rules on how to find hirelings and stuff, putting up handbills and hiring a crier and... Uh, Hiring the uh, barkeep at the tavern to, uh, you know, talk to likely candidates for us. And I'm like, yeah, let's do all that. <laughs> Turns out we didn't have to do all that, but I was all excited. <laughs> uh, I, it, it was fun. Um, as, a, as a DM, I really didn't do much. I was just sort of preparing NPC actions in the background and uh, and responding to your guys' questions. So um, from a DM's perspective, on the one hand, it wasn't exciting and action-packed. On the other hand, it was, uh, it was fun to interact and it was very satisfying to see the players actually think and interact with the world as if it were a real world, which for me is that's where tabletop role-playing games become the best for me when I'm thinking about the game as an in-game world and the actions I take make sense or if I'm running the game that uh, if I don't have any if I don't have any mechanics or rules right in front of me that to handle a situation, when a, when a player comes in and really thinks about it and says, "Hey, what if I do such and such?" and and we in that shared that shared 
hallucination, that shared mind space, we we all everybody understands, okay, this is how the world works. I'm thinking about it as if I'm actually a character in this world. Here's how I interact with it. Those are my favorite parts. And so it was really satisfying that the rules and the sequence of circumstances created that situation. And uh Because there weren't rules covering situation covering a lot of those situations, I wonder if that helped. That's just a question that's crossing my mind. I don't have a definite answer. And I will also say this. Um, one of the things that helped us engage with the world more was because we were so fragile that we had to think about the world as a world and look for solutions that were present in the world. If we had been superheroes, even first level superheroes, we wouldn't have had to look so hard for solutions to our problems. Losing two members of the party really set us back. It really kind of sobered us up because I think the three of us, and I include myself in this, this is a bit of self-criticism too. I think the three of us were going in expecting third edition. We were going in kind of subconsciously assuming that we would have, you know, uh, same hit points plus the negative 10 bleeding to death hit points um, plus the cushy bonuses that you get from attributes in third edition, which you do not get in AD&D or second edition, and you do not get in BECMI. Um, we're expecting the game to be easier than it has been. Not that it's been like, you know, fantasy freaking Vietnam, but we're expecting to have an easier time with it. We weren't expecting goblins to be as difficult as they have been because they have roughed us up. They've roughed us up once and then they wiped us out the next time. Um. So we were expecting it to be easier. And when they killed half the party, they really set us back. And so we went in, we got kind of ruthless at that point and started looking for solutions. And looking for solutions meant thinking about, okay, here's the place we are. Here's what's going on. What solutions are available in this world? And that forced us to take the world, the game world, seriously. So my theory right now, and this is the theory that I'm building the secret project off of, the more obstacles and consequences there are, that is obstacles before the players, uh, that players have to deal with when they're taking actions, and consequences that occur after the actions are taken, the more the players have to accept the reality of the world their characters are in. 
Well said. On on that note, I am out of time for today, DW. Do you want to wrap up the RPG discussion? <laughs> we did not even get around to the actual topic of the show. <laughs> I have I have already updated the topic and thumbnail of the show to reflect that. Awesome. <laughs> we, we can talk about sci-fi next week. Uh, unless we can get Jeffro on the show for next week. No, um, well, we, we, we keep we're gonna have to actually ask him uh, directly instead of just talking on air about it. But yeah. Oh, well, I thought uh, we did ask him. I thought you said, "Hey, Jeffro, you want to come on the show?" Oh, I yes, in today's show, I did. Okay. Should, is that um, impolite? Should we do that more politely? We should probably do that more politely, like in an email or something, and and formally, you know, invite him on. Well, see, the thing you don't know is that Jeffro was from the south. And I know that. To, but but what you may not realize is in order to ask someone from the South something, you have to ask them three times. Because that's when it stops being just politeness and starts being a real request. So you asked him once. Then I asked him once. Then you just asked him once again. And so those were all three on the air. So that's there three we times we've asked him. So we need to ask him again, you know, an email to see what we can iron out the details. But that's a that's really we've we've asked him once now if he wants to come on the show. So we can ask him an email again, you know, would you like to come on the show and and discuss Trilopolis? Because I've been frankly finding it fascinating and uh I've really been interested in playing uh, if I had, uh, you know, the time, but uh, at, at second best has been reading about it. Yeah, it's, I, I've been meaning, I've been meaning to send, well, Jeff Rowe also moved out of my neighborhood and, and went back east to the southeast. Uh, so the time zone mismatch makes it means it's that I can't just text him or call him up about role playing games anytime. And uh, and so I'm going to use this show as an excuse. And we'll know that when he declines, it won't be just a polite politeness. It means he really doesn't want to hang out with us. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why no one would want to want to do that because this awesome. Um, I do have. We are uh, awesome, but we're also disreputable disreputable and we talk we talk mad shit about whatever we talked about at the beginning of the show it's i'm, I'm not going to mention it just in case youtube censors us and edits it out or anything like that um oh that's right we were on the edge of getting banned edge of, edge of, get, edge of getting banned it's okay oh wow uh, we're fine now we're, we're good we're good i i actually caught a ban on twitter did you? Oh, you uh, must have been talking about the Delta variant. No. I, somebody said, hypothetically, if they were a comic book editor and someone had come in with them and presented this panel that was like a panel from this comic he was criticizing, uh, he would torment them psychologically because they were so stupid. And I said, you might as well just shoot him because there's no court in the world that would convict you. 
And somebody reported that to Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I I can see why somebody would report that to Twitter. Obviously a, a hypothetical joke. fictional situation where I hypothetically suggested doing something to a hypothetical fictional person got reported to Twitter and they banned me for that. Oh, the the target in question was fictional. Yeah. Oh, that's that's absurd then. They yeah, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure the, the Twitter employee just looked at the at the message without context and they were like, okay, click. And they went on with their day. I caught a 12 hour ban. I, I don't feel bad for that. I'm just like, whatever, dude. So the next time I made a joke like that, which was the same day, <laughs> I, I made it clear by sticking like three levels of hypothetical fictional pre conjecturing in there that it was, you know, me referring to a fictional person I was hypothetically conjecturing might exist. There. So I don't know. But what kind of – this is something somebody else responded. What kind of jackass reports a tweet like that to Twitter? I mean, honestly, the same kind of jackass that spends too much time on Twitter. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, we're out of here. You've got to go, so – we got it. Yeah, we, we. I'm at. I'm specifically out of time. Um, I have. I have budgeted the hour and a half, two hours necessary for this show. But I had a great time talking about one of my favorite topics. I didn't get a chance to uh, shout out to chat, so I'd like to take a few seconds to thank everybody who came in. We had uh, uh, Jeffro, uh, of course. Um, hey, Ardenon, good to see you. Fiona Wolf, glad you made it. And Judd Goswick, uh, big in the chat today who else did we have here today did i mention roll because because rolls in here too matthew martin hey how's it going um and bryce byerly with the swole playing love it um it was awesome to have all you guys here and scrolling up i see john dacre uh glad you're here for the all all the rpg guys had just happened to show up for uh gab about D, &D so i'm so happy uh that we had such a good show today um i'm done for today uh, Daddy Warpig, thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, it's been a blast as usual, uh, but I'm out. Have a great week, everyone. All right, folks, we want to thank everybody uh, coming and listening live, participating in the chat. Uh, it's been a great chat, very energetic chat, talking about uh, not just D&D, but Call of Cthulhu, one-to-one -one time in all kinds of games. Uh, a lot of great supplementary information in the chat. So uh, if you get a chance, come to youtube.com slash geekgab. That's youtube.com slash geekgab and listen to the show, read the chat and see what uh, other information has been pitched in by our unusually intelligent and amazing audience. And uh, by the way, we uh, do this just about every Saturday, just about uh, this time, which is 2 p.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. Pacific. And you can come in and participate live Um and uh, join the chat and make your voice known permanently recorded right here on GeekGab, at least until they ban us. Um, but if you can't make us, uh, if you can't come and listen live, you can listen to us later on the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, and on SoundCloud.com. You can download us and listen to us on the device of your choice because... That's how much we care. We want to make it convenient for you. Folks, we are uh, signing off for today.
But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.